Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Sort of Mindsets podcast. On this episode, we're going to be chalk, excuse me, we're going to be chat, we're going to be chatting it up with Ramphis Castro. Currently, Ramphis is the founding partner at Science Fest, an early stage venture fund in Manhattan that invests in sci fi tech startups um, in the healthcare space. And uh, yeah, today we're going to be discussing some of the points that we've been. Uh, some of the um, topics for discussion are raising startup capital versus fundraising a venture fund. Um, I know that there are a lot of uh, discrepancies between the two, and you know I'm always curious about how uh, how difficult it is to raise from LPs, limited partners, versus raising from uh, a fund or angel investors. Uh, looking at it from being a startup versus being a venture firm that wants to uh, create a fund. Um, and yeah, we also discuss how Ramphis' uh, humble beginnings down in Puerto Rico um, sort of just cult, uh, catalyzed his uh, desire to uh, create innovation for communities of color and uh, how Science Fest is backing um, strong minded entrepreneurs uh, in the sci fi tech um, space particularly in healthcare and yeah guys i hope you guys enjoy the show uh if you guys have any questions or you know just want to say hi um i know we haven't like maybe like caught up uh do social distancing but yeah just dive in my linkedin dm or the start mindsets podcast uh instagram dm and uh yeah would love to uh chat it up so uh without further ado without further ado ramphus welcome to start mindsets Thanks for the invite, Dan. Great to be here, Earl. Yeah, and of course, and I guess this is Earl uh, for people listening. And uh, Rapids and I and each other for many, many years, right? Uh, you know, we we built this uh, impact platform uh, kind of before called Align 17. And, uh, you know, I think it, you know, since that time, um, we went through many different iterations of our career. But, uh, Ramph is one of my good friends, and uh, I think we're totally mission aligned in how to change the world through technology and science. So uh, thank you, Ramphis, for saying yes, right? But- Absolutely. Cool. Uh, Ramphis, yeah, I'd love to hear your take on um, when you got started in entrepreneurship. Um, was this always your thing, or was it forced, or how did, how did that happen? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, so... I'm originally from, you know, Guayama, Puerto Rico, right? I mean, English as a second language by itself is, a, uh, you know, not, not really a, a thing generally. So, uh, and where, where my, my parents, uh, where they grew up and we all grew up, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is sort of embedded in sort of way of life. Right? I mean, just kind of making ends meet and figuring out kind of new opportunities to offset some, some, I guess, life's costs. So I guess... Um, thanks to my mom and dad, I guess, I guess that started early in exposing, getting exposed to uh, building something from nothing and, and solving someone's problem and getting paid for that. Um, that's a non, in a non-traditional sense, right? Not just like being an employee, but figuring out simple things like, you know, uh, mowing a, a neighbor's lawn for uh, 50 cents, right? Like all day, right? They like just spending like all day doing that and getting 50 cents and being extremely excited to be able to afford, um, you know, bubble gum and stuff like that. And, or, you know, buying uh, candy uh, and, you know, reselling that to, you know, the other kind of neighborhood kids um, to kind of make some profit so that we could afford to go, uh, you know, buy a plane ticket so we could make it to Disney over the summer, right? Like, kinds of things 
I was uh, lucky. Um, I didn't know it obviously then that that was you know kind of the, the kind of training for a lot of things that I would do after. Uh, but definitely that's that's where the the sort of mindset attitude towards work and solving problems and, and in the service of others. That's where where that I felt kind of that came through. Kind of just experiencing my, my parents um, and my mom specifically, just you know figuring out kind of new opportunities to. Um, supplement uh, additional income, um, but really it took a long time for me to figure out that that was the the path or my chosen path. Right? I mean, I started and when when you're from where I'm from, you know, you can be one of three things: uh, engineer, lawyer, or doctor. Uh, and you know, I I I made a two out of three. I'm an engineer first, um, so I, I lucked out in being sort of good at math and science. Had access to that English as a second language because of sort of my mom's and, and my dad's investment in in uh, in our in us sort of learning kind of early. Um, and had the opportunity to study engineering and start my career at, at Microsoft, right? So, so that's sort of the the path, right? So going from, you know, where, where I'm sort of from into engineering, and then you know not knowing anything about you know startups or building companies in, in that regard, uh, but then seeing how products were built inside Microsoft and deciding if I was going to be an engineer, then might as well be an engineer back home. So I kind of turned down my Microsoft offer, came back to Puerto Rico, uh, and then uh, started solving some problems there from the private sector that were public sector issues. Um, and then over time, learning that uh, there's, the, there's be- there were better ways to uh, generate wealth, all right, by solving problems uh, and accruing that and, and, and learning more about just what startups were and how do you build them. Uh, so uh, it took until my kind of early 20s to really kind of start my first actual kind of startup. Yeah. Um, what was like the what was the first startup that you uh, started? Was it? Um... Um, that was civil engineering. So a long time ago, but basically, the story was I, I you know I had been exposed to building products uh, at Microsoft. I thought, oh yeah, sure, I could kind of do this. Um, it's a, you know I kind of done this before, but at the time in, in Puerto Rico, there weren't really that many product tech companies. Right, not really a thing. It was more service oriented businesses broadly, uh, and I. I went into the idea of starting a business thinking, well, the things I do in consulting uh, are for large-scale companies uh, that was doing that all over the region and for uh, bigger um, industries or sort of bigger companies, uh, I could do that at sort of small scale uh, and just sort of make, make more money. So that was sort of the idea, right? I had all this experience around um, integrating kind of, you know, enterprise resource planning, uh, ecosystem um, sort of systems and uh, designing uh, custom uh, you know, analytics. I mean, we, um, we call them kind of AI now, but it was for expert systems uh, okay. for, for different, um, different companies as well. And just bringing that small scale, that's sort of where I thought. And when we went to our very first customer, uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool, but I don't need any of that, right? I have this problem. And the problem that they had was it was really difficult for uh, hospital administrators to figure out and how, uh, how do they know uh, what's happening uh, at any given moment with their budgets, right? And, and their relationship with insurance companies um, was very difficult because they had better data than they did about what was going on and was getting paid. I ended up solving for that problem, right? And building a product to make it easy for hospital admins to understand uh, what they're up to. And this is early, mid-2000s, right? So 2000s or five, six. Um, so at the time, uh, just sort of building a company focused on sort of healthcare analytics and you know building a way to just uh, aggregate data from what's going on and 
uh, basically say, hey, this is the right kind of uh, doctors that are uh, being very attentive to your uh, patients or, you know, this is sort of some of the patients that um, kind of need a different kind of help and your doctors are not serving them well. Um, and this is why you're seeing them going to the emergency room, like those kinds of things. Uh, and, and from there, I mean, that, the, the story, I mean, product worked, uh, but they made all the mistakes on the business side. I mean, partner, you know, had partners that, you know, the, the part of the company, you know, had to save it and, you know, all kinds of other uh, experiences there that informed them going again, um, building a second tech company, kind of that working out and then moving on to the investor side. Yeah, yeah, that's a really cool journey. I'm just wondering, how was the uh, ecosystem or the appetite for, I guess, innovation back in Puerto Rico, where, where you're from? Was it um, so? Still, bit, you had some okay. hurdles just since uh, you know it's an emerging region. Um, yeah. So at the time, um, you know, keeping context, and a lot of things have changed since then, there and everywhere else in the world, but. Uh, the ecosystem, this idea of mentors and angel investors and VCs and uh, people helping you for no reason other than to pay forward, not really a thing. Right? <laughs> right? It's true, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so here I am, you know, building that the tech company, but there's, there's no thing and no one around me to be helpful. Actually, the story at the time was there were all these sort of, and that was not just a Puerto Rico thing, it's everywhere, right? Even mm -hmm. to this day, like, mm -hmm. there are all these programs that are like for business support. Um, but it's for traditional businesses, right? Not for building. Yeah, they make you write the business plan that's like 50 yeah. pages, right? I, I did that. I did that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. Um, and just seeing firsthand how basically everything that everyone said and did um, was not from experience of building companies, but was from seeing other, what they thought you needed to do to build a company, right? So a lot of consultants, a lot of service providers, um, but, but not real experience in actual beating product tech companies. Um, so that is why I got involved in a lot of ecosystem building work, right? From that first experience of seeing that all the things that were out there did not really apply to building an innovation driven company outside of the major tech hubs, right? Like there are all these things about Silicon Valley. Oh, get your friends and family around. It's like, ah, okay. Um, or, you know, building, you know, get raising so you can build a product. Um, where, when I started, you know, we were profitable, you know, day one, right? Profitable day one, product market, um, solving uh, uh, these issues, and yet there's, there wasn't an ecosystem around to support um, or, or to pull from, right? It just lessons learned and advice. Uh, so that evolved, has evolved significantly since then, right? I've been involved in, you know, I helped, uh, I, I was the first uh, Spanish-speaking facilitator for Startup Weekend, um, early days, so this is like 2010, 2011. Uh, and helping that program scale um, and grow, right? Helping find more facilitators in Latin America and, and the Caribbean and, and, and elsewhere. Uh, same thing for other programs like Founder Institute uh, and then evolving and designing uh, my own program uh, with the help of uh, my colleague at the time, Marcos Polanco, uh, to essentially take the best uh, efforts around the Startup Chile program uh, and, and mm -hmm. making it work for, making it work for, uh, the ecosystems that we're in, right? Specifically, uh, using a, an investor lens uh, for making the commitments, uh, for you know, releasing the funds up front, just like a regular uh, check, like a regular equity check, versus like more milestone-driven payments and these kinds of things that uh, different programs around the world use, right? They kind of make you write a, all kinds of documentation just to get you know a, a tiny a tiny check, uh, and that portfolio 
now has you know Puerto Rico went from zero dollars in venture capital in around 2015 uh, to over you know 100 million plus in venture capital follow-on funding um, from investors all over the world, right? New York, Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. So there's a vibrant, growing yeah. ecosystem of hundreds, uh, if not thousands, of startups now operating from Puerto Rico, not just Puerto Rican startups, right? This portfolio, there are companies from over 67 countries, uh, half of which left operations. So, so now there's all kinds of everything there. It's a, it's a, just as in any emerging ecosystem, uh, there's a lot of challenges of doing business outside of just traditional tech hubs, uh, but the entrepreneurship and the level, caliber, and scale of the talent is as obviously there right now proven. So it's 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 less of a is there are there entrepreneurs or can you build you know uh, global tech companies from uh, Puerto Rico and and more about uh, you know who are the right kind of investors that get it right and and can be supportive. Uh, and help connect the dots for not just companies uh, on the island, uh, but also connected with other ecosystems in other parts of the world. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, you mentioned 2015, you know, sort of being that pivotal year in venture and I guess technology. I remember 2015 was very big in uh, everything. Like, I think if I were to point in that decade what, where things like really changed, I mean, so much has happened. Um, what do you think accounted for that appetite um, for venture and the dollars being poured into uh, not maybe not just Puerto Rico but around the world. Like how how come twenty fifteen VC fancy to be the thing to do? <laughs> so it, it's not that VC fancied. Actually, VC has all kinds of, of problems, right? Yeah, the reason I got into <laughs> VC, your traditional VCs, you know, suck, right? They they're kind of more pattern matching on mm -hmm, what they've invested mm -hmm. in the past and. Uh, not really digging into uh, the potential opportunity. Concrete example, I mean, the, the Chinese investment ecosystem and the Southeast Asian investment ecosystem came up from under the Silicon Valley's noses, right? So sort of an entire ecosystem of investing that rivals Silicon Valley. Uh, and so deals were there, uh, but the investors cannot see that. And, and the same movie has played out in almost every major ecosystem uh, around, the, around the world now. Uh, so it wasn't a, a Puerto Rico specific or VC specific thing. It was more of their entrepreneurs, right? And the entrepreneurs mm. and the mentors and the advisors, people like me and others, where by then we had a lot of other relationships. Um, you know, I did the Coffin Fellows program. I had done the sort of White Combinator Fellows program. And there are a lot of other relationships around ecosystems over the world that you could pull into the island, right? And help, help everyone help each other, right? So that global ecosystem support uh, was sort of took a while to develop uh, and at that stage uh, it was robust enough to not uh, just attract uh, or for us to write the very first check in these kinds of programs like Pro 18 but really to attract other investors to go and travel there to see for themselves and and they weren't traveling necessarily because they were seeing the deals they were traveling because you know as a friend you invite them you say hey come on over but then, <laughs> but then you see that there's world-class everything there and then the the deals and the entrepreneurs speak for themselves so i guess ramp is quick question i like your point where i guess 2015 2016 this this uh ecosystems all over the world started to spring up because you know i guess you know entrepreneurs are getting smarter uh, you know doing kind of these silicon valley style deals obviously some vcs have more experience some people went back to their home countries or heritage countries to really make an impact uh, 
Um, I'm curious on your thoughts on, you know, why, let's say, most VCs uh, don't take chances on entrepreneurs, especially not from the same geography, if by definition, VC is supposed to be risk capital, right? Like, what is your thoughts on that? Um, because it's a puzzle, right, for a lot of people who, you know, unfortunately, not everybody can grow up in San Francisco Bay Area, right? So, so, so this will be a, like a gross generalization, but at the, stages, at the stages where most of the entrepreneurs are operating across most emerging ecosystems, mm-hmm. the gap between the type of investor that, that can raise a fund or is a part of a fund and, the, and what the entrepreneur's experience is at that level, the gap is too far. Mm-hmm. So you have traditionally minded private equity type uh, individuals that are trying to bring that lens into the type of investing they do in their local, regional ecosystems, or even in major hubs as well. Yeah, so they want to see, yeah. uh, see some things uh, in order for them to be able to generate conviction because they themselves have never built. Uh, companies mm, of, yeah. of that nature and under those circumstances. So the experience gap is too far uh, and there's these embedded power dynamics in capital, investing, and others <laughs> where it's, it's almost impossible to bridge that culture gap. We call it that kind of business building culture and finance culture gap. Uh, it's too far for there to be alignment. So investors, they can't really make the jump so they can't generate conviction for themselves, right? They literally don't know how. They don't know how mm. to evaluate whether, uh, you know, Plantina, uh, let's say if you were based out of Philippines or like your company based out of Philippines, uh, could you be successful, right? They don't understand the market conditions that will make that clear. They don't yeah. have experience in doing that themselves. They don't have experience in managing that uncertainty themselves and building that in that way. So there's no way for them to say, well, we'll commit first. Right? They, they, can't, they, they can't believe because they can't see, they can't see it and they, and they haven't done it themselves. So it makes it this, this systemic issue that we're still experiencing. It's gotten a hundred times better, as you know, Earl, like you and I, we built all types of different <laughs> models and supported funds and been invested in different ways where, where we bridge that gap. But the, the gap is systemic because of all these factors and many more. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely a good point there, right? Just because I think, you know, I think the, the gap is closing. I mean, there's some really, you know, I mean, huge companies from, you know, other parts of the world that they're now are entering, you know, Decacorn status, if not even IPO status, right? Like, I think uh, the biggest fintech IPO is, will be Ant Financial, right? Which is, uh, you know, I think nobody probably has invested. I don't know. I'm not sure who Silicon Valley company has in, uh, venture capitalists are in the cap table of Ant Financial, right? So <laughs> yeah, I don't have a top of mind, but yeah, I exactly, mean, right? <laughs> That's exactly the the thought process there. Uh, yeah. But Dan, go ahead, go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Uh, uh, just thinking about how you uh, phrased everything. Um, wanted to switch gears more into uh, what made you start Science Fest, and I guess overall the fundraising process, and comment on that. Yeah, so after, after my, my second tech company um, and, and focusing on what I was sort of going to do next and understanding that the, this, this access to capital gap issue is systemic, it's global, and thinking about where, where can I add value and what could be 
something that I could dedicate and think about working in, you know, for the next 10, 20, 30 years uh, and looking for that mission, all these pieces coming together sort of in the mission alignment. Uh, that's how I arrived at the, at, at sort of the science list. The problems I wanted to solve with science list, right? Which was the funding gap for science at the end of the day. If you're building uh, uh, an innovation driven company, generally super difficult. If it's uh, technically uh, in nature, uh, very difficult, uh, right? So it has some core intellectual property. Uh, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're working not just for AI or things and stuff that people know, but, you know, computational biology or synthetic biology and try to explain that to a VC that, right, doesn't understand, is not engineered themselves or doesn't have the technical capacity to understand. Uh, and, then, and then you're solving for a problem that your investors has not experienced themselves, right, globally, right, issues around health, you know, and, and access to, to health uh, ecosystems, then all of that coming together makes the funding gap for science extreme, right? So you have a lot of capital on one side for research, but then the companies that spin out, they have this thing called the value. So, so science that started as a way to solve for that funding gap for science, essentially uh, being that first check uh, that brings the science, so, so gives more confidence to the rest of the investor ecosystem uh, around uh, the core technology and the team alignment around the core technology, bringing this to market and the path to market for the companies so that it would make their lives easier uh, to raise, right? And have access to additional capital from a lot of other sources, right? So solving for all of that, that's sort of how that science got started. And we, we went through the YC Fellows Program at the time, uh, essentially to get some feedback from uh, sort of the ecosystem around kind of this issue. And at the time, 2014, 2015, um, it was, you know, AngelList was had their syndicates and was open, and we're trying to you know share with everyone how mm. the how the deal making and the dynamics of the deals were going to go private, right? And everything uh, was not going to be public for all the reasons that that are discussed with venture, uh, and and then that allowed us then to raise sort of a, a proof of concept fund to go and and make these investments, right? And and. And from there, you know, we've made commitments uh, in companies in Canada and across the U.S., um, most of which have ended up in Silicon Valley, right? Because when you think about the kind of investors that get it at later stages, there are going to be more uh, West Coast, um, West Coast facings or more, more that sort of Silicon Valley thinking. Uh, but that very, very first check uh, is extremely difficult to, to get. Uh, and we want it to be to solve for those issues and be that kind of partner for entrepreneurs, basically the kind of investor I wish I had. Okay. Um, when, when we're getting started. Just, just wondering on that, um, how do you, do you think, or how do you compare the fundraising process from being a founder versus being a investor in terms so, of yeah. angels? I'm glad, glad you asked that question um, because the LP engagement and the fundraising process and, and the process of being a GP and raising a fund uh, is not talked about enough, right? And the the difficulty level from raising for a startup, from raising for a fund, is in multiple orders of magnitude harder, right? It would say 100x. Mm -hmm. And the reason uh, it's harder is that the, the dynamic of the relationship with the capital is different, right? My investors in the fund and investors in any fund uh, have a 10 plus year relationship that they're committing to. Uh, and the returns on those dollars, it's not necessarily the similar return profile as investing in a startup, right? So if you invest mm -hmm. in a startup, 
as an entrepreneur, you're raising, you're making a promise of the future, uh, of what the future will be, and what's the wealth that you're going to create and capture. Uh, and that could be 30x or it could be zero. So from the investor lens, yeah. everyone already has a mindset of portfolio and that, you know, one, you only need one of your 10 or 20 or 30 investments to return your entire fund. So that's very well known in that side of the world for entrepreneurs and NBCs, that dynamic is clear versus for LPs, uh, they have different needs, right? It's not a one size fits all LP, right? Different LPs have different liquidity needs, time horizons, uh, different uh, stakeholder dynamics internal, how they make decisions. So there's a lot of other factors uh, and a lot of other geographic uh, concerns and market condition concerns. There's a lot more going on. So if you're, as you're raising a fund, there's no way to know this upfront, right? Just as if you're a startup and you're raising with a VC, you don't know a lot about that, right? I, I first heard a VCs was a thing. I don't even know, you know, how long ago, but, but nobody told me that was that you could do that, right? That there was someone that could invest in you uh, and, and support what you were doing. So for the, L, for the LP side, it's even more opaque, right? Who makes these commitments? Who can do that? Who can make, who can make a 10-year horizon uh, invest a 10 plus year horizon investment knowing that it's illiquid they can't get it out uh, and that they're committing to a portfolio a blind pool of companies that you as a manager will be investing in yeah. so the dynamic ends up being a lot harder uh, unless you share a lot of uh sort of networks in the space but then you also use strategies around showcasing the investments you've made and how those works. And then still there's just, the dynamic is just completely different um, than what you're doing with traditional venture and entrepreneur relationship. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you like wearing both hats? Um, yeah. What's, what's better, I guess. What, what's, what's harder, maybe I guess yeah. that, right. What's harder, an entrepreneur pitching to a VC or a VC pitching to LP? VC to LP is, is much harder. Right? It's much harder because as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you have more control over what the way forward is. Right? So as an operator, uh, you can build a company. Right? Your, your, your customer drives mm -hmm. what you do. Right? So your mindset around who do you work for? Uh, it's clearly in the service of solving a problem for your customers. Very clear. As long as you're executing beautifully in that direction, the other parts, there are ways to figure those things out. In the context of being an operator, right, as a building a new fund or a GP of a firm versus just being a, a VC and from a, like a, a principal or an analyst or even a partner without the, the, the task of the LP relationships and fundraising side, there's not a lot of control that you have with that relationship because you can have the, you can have the track record, you can make the investments, you can showcase the types of companies that you've invested in, what you've returned, but you don't have a way to force or, or to make it so that it's an obvious choice that you're the right vet for them because there are hundreds, not thousands of other funds that they're also ex ex uh, exploring as well. And you are also competing with everything an, an LP could potentially invest at that time that could provide the kind of risk adjusted returns that you could provide, right? So it's just a lot. Mm -hmm. more complex of uh, an investment decision uh, from different LP perspectives. And there's much less information on each one, right? So this is a lot unpacked there versus a fairly straightforward uh, entrepreneur experience of building a company where as long as you're solving a problem in a way that's unique and your customers are 
compensating you for that, it's very hard to argue with that data, right? And investors can just decide if that's a fit or not for them and move on. And as an entrepreneur, you have a lot more options to choose from uh, if you are performing uh, as for your customers as, as you want, right? It's still difficult, right? Don't get me wrong. There's no such thing as an easy fundraise. Um, there's a lot of context and nuance and those that you hear about in the news. Um, it's not like, oh, you know, oh, Earl just started and he got into Techstars. Well, you know, Earl has been, you know, in the game for a while. Um, so same thing for, for the startup, for other kind of startups that you hear about, but it's not as, it's not like that for uh, raising a fund, right? There are all these mm. other pieces around, you know, first time fund, first time manager, first time thesis. Uh, and all of that is a, a sort of vicious cycle, chicken and egg situation that's, that's systemically very difficult to get over, which Earl and I saw broadly as we were bridging, as we were working on the marketplace that um, Earl alluded to earlier, where you have yeah. capital on one side from you know, family offices and others and fund managers on the other. Uh, and at the end, it's trust in the middle that is missing, right? There's this trust for the capital to flow blow sides, which are complete, a completely different set of interviews that we can, we can discuss and, and unpack. Yeah, totally interested in, just wanted to ask here, since the book, we're writing a book called Startup Mindsets, um, and trying to figure out, I guess, how people looked at all these things. And you mentioned, you know, really challenging things of raising a fund, your own fund, and then raising funds from, uh, you know, both sides of the street. Um, uh, I mean, if you had to recall, like, what was your mindset when you were raising the Science Vest Fund? Um, and, like, just, I guess that changed, but... Uh, yeah. And how did you like um, convince yourself that you were doing what you yeah. want? Well, convince other people. <laughs> yeah. So, so the north star. I mean, from a startup mindset perspective, it's always around, you know, what problem are you solving, and why are you doing this? Like, why, why, why do, I, why am I doing this, and why should others care? Uh, and what can I showcase that I'm the one to do this, right? Um, just as any any founder uh, can share, and and. And be able to articulate that and showcase that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all about focusing on a problem that needs solving and serving, who are you serving, and that your own conviction and mission on the why you're doing that uh, is worth all the pain and suffering that you're going to go through yeah. to get to the other side, right? And in this case, uh, entrepreneurs globally deserve a better investment experience. And if you're building a globally scalable company that's solving some of the toughest challenges in humanity, uh, that are affecting billions of people, hmm, I think you should have investors that just get it and are, on, are, are, are along the ride for being as supportive uh, as they can versus the experience right now where uh, essentially the typical traditional VC, and these are brands that VCs built for themselves before even Earl and I were in, in, in the game, uh, where they're just sort of sitting around waiting, right, to see how you do, right? Just show me, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see you get started. Let me see what you do here. Let me see there because they can't generate conviction for themselves so that they can work for the entrepreneur, right? So for me to be in the service of entrepreneurs in that way is sort of a big driver um, just because it's the most meaningful impact I could have personally because I'm not going to build, you know, I'm not going to go around again and, and build out, you know, a computational biology company and, uh, uh, you know, an HIV vaccine company, right? But I can invest in them, support them, and connect them with the right, the right individuals, resources, and investors along with us so that they can get to where they need to be, which just makes the world a better place without the cliche of 
making the world a better place by better compression algorithms um, is actually making a better place by increasing uh, access to healthcare, right? Yeah, Rafa's a uh, great, great, great uh, response there. Just wanted to ask, like, how has COVID nineteen affected like the the deal flow or the your your job in general, right? As a VC, how has it affected uh, the investing process without being able to meet people in person as much or talk to other individuals as much? So, from my perspective, um, it's actually accelerated what we were already doing. Uh, so. When we've, we've always been investing, quote unquote, remotely, um, not meeting uh, entrepreneurs uh, um, since, since forever, right? Um, since the beginning, not just of the pandemic, but of both like investing broadly. Uh, and that is because the, the capability of being able to build trust, just as we're having a conversation now and be able to believe and trust and build that report, uh, apparently some new skill set that investors are needed to learn, which, okay. Uh, but from our perspective, uh, we, if you want to invest outside of the hubs, you know, entrepreneurs are everywhere. Um, the default has to be uh, that you go where the entrepreneurs are uh, and not to, if you're going to be in the service of entrepreneurs, to so not have the entrepreneurs go to you. Um, so from our lens, uh, that, was, that wasn't a shift at all. It's actually made it better for what we do and how we do it because now there are more investors that uh, are learning uh, and changing their perception of risk, right? And that's great for entrepreneurs everywhere because now you can connect with um, entrepreneurs that you wouldn't uh, front with uh, investors that you wouldn't otherwise have access to and investors would come into deals that they wouldn't otherwise uh, invest because they wanted to you know you to fly out to Sun Hill Road uh, to hang um, <laughs> to see if maybe uh, uh, they can make uh, a commitment um, so overall that's been a, a net positive the other has been a net positive is our thesis is focused on uh, companies that are typically overlooked uh, in the context of uh, hard sciences, right? So uh, a lot of the problems around COVID-19, so for example, one of our portfolio companies uh, uh, is able to uh, basically sort of detect uh, through, uh, through breath uh, the sort of particles uh, that allows for early detection of COVID-19, right? Uh, and these are the kinds of technologies that should have been funded, you know, 10, 15 years ago, right? And yet suddenly now there's all kinds of interest. So it, it, it allows the our portfolio companies and other new companies that are doing interesting things to have better access to capital than they would otherwise. So from, from our lens, uh, it's just been an acceleration of a trend uh, where we were already playing, right? Now there's a lot of interest in climate tech, uh, great. Uh, now there's a lot of interest in remote investing, great check, we're already doing that. Now there's a lot of interest in sort of deep tech um, investing, great, we're already doing that. Uh, so now it's a little about uh, raising the profile that we were already doing this, right? And getting additional support from other uh, LPs and investors around the world that uh, want to commit capital at scale to solve for these issues because the companies that are out there, there's just a lot more capital than there are early investors that understand what they are doing in a way that can be helpful to these companies, right? And, and we w we'd love to build long-term more for BlackRock for science, uh, and be able to aggregate uh, capital in a way that's deployed effectively to support entrepreneurs in the way they, that they need to be supported, not just under the venture capital model, uh, but more from the builder capitalist model uh, of uh, entrepreneurs building uh, companies, right? Versus the sort of mindset of building a company for the purposes of flipping it or uh, just sort of for, for the money, uh, which is typically the cycle that you see um, 
a lot of sort of venture investors and, and even entrepreneurs, frankly, that have access to that capital go for. Yeah, cool. So I guess, Rafis, uh, we only have a few minutes with you, but uh, we want to ask you our three signature questions in Startup Mindset Podcast, right? So first question is, if you had to summarize your personal startup mindset that you lived throughout your life with, uh, in one or two sentences, what would that mindset be? Um, and then followed up with two additional questions, which uh, if you don't, if you forget, we'll remind you. But uh, if you had to remind yourself uh, and give advice to your 20-year-old self on how to discover your personal startup mindset during that age, um, what would you tell yourself? Uh, and then we'll, we'll cap it off with some advice on resources. But uh, at least the two ones, sure. would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I guess so from a startup mindset perspective, one is sort of the learning by doing, right? There's a lot of talk about doing something, and my approach has always been being clear on the problem that I want to solve and that I care more about solving the problem than the solution that I think might be the right solution for the problem, uh, and that I care more about who has the problem than the, the problem itself, right? It's who, who are you in the service of? Uh, and then building and, and iterating around the business model around that, right? Like who's a customer? What's your problem? What's a value prop? Like what's the revenue model? Um, how do you reach them? Like all those different sort of that cycle is at the core of how I approach or I guess my mindset uh, is be clear on the problem uh, and learning by, learning by doing uh, and focusing on solving the problem for uh, whoever it is, and that could be a startup, but there are all kinds of problems in the world, right? So that's more engineering mindset applied to startups, right? It's sort of a more mm-hmm. iterative process of arriving at the right solution given the given uh, certain the, the right constraints. Um, and then in terms of advice of a 20-year-old self, wow, so a lot has changed in, in, in life. So my, my 20-year-old self, I would say number one, uh, Trust more in yourself, right? In terms mm-hmm. of what makes you different is what makes you powerful, right? And that's hard to, that was hard for me to believe. Yeah. Even now, it's still, it's still a part of the process of, of acknowledging that where I come, where I come from, you know, what, what I learned in that process and, and how I grew from those and those lessons learned, those are unique to me in a way that, uh, I, I undervalued. You should never. You, I undervalued then, um, versus doubling down and betting. I would tell myself just, 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 just believe in yourself and just go, right? And focus on the ones that also believe, and don't waste time on the ones that don't waste time on people and efforts where you think that by showing you'd convince them, right? Either people have the capacity to generate conviction themselves and your mission online is going to go, or uh, you're just going to get the additional question on why you're not the right person to do something, right? And you're not supposed to, uh, you're, you're not the one that's supposed to uh, generate an alternative credit score for uh, emerging uh, ecosystem, right? Like Earl is working on, right? It's not supposed to be you, right? Someone else in banking, someone else has more experience, someone else should do it versus the unique aspects that are uniquely you, Ramfis, I would say, um, just go after mm-hmm. that. Uh, and, and then uh, in terms of how to find that for, for others, like how, how would others find that in, in themselves and in, in their kind of their startup mindset, uh, I, I would suggest to think about and what, 
what they do, right, without anyone telling them to do it, right? Like, what are the things that are exciting to you? What are the things that you do that you'd pay to do, that you would do uh, anyway? Uh, and think about uh, who, who has, who sees value in what you're doing, right? And that's still the problem for them. Uh, and then packaging that, those values, that e ethos into something that you can then build a meaningful, enduring company, right? It doesn't have to be a globally scalable startup, right? It could be a, a small, it should be a business that generates massive amounts of free cash flow, right? Cash is great. Uh, so, so try to focus on the areas within yourself that drive you to do something because you have to do it, right? Where you're, and that's typically where you just find yourself like over a weekend tinkering on some particular project. Why are you doing that, right? And, and ask yourself, uh, why, why, why you, why are you in that, in that space? Uh, and then ask yourself, you know, what would your 80-year-old self ask you or think about what you're focused on, right? And, and how, would, <laughs> how would they feel about that if that's what you kind of build your life around uh, and, and just go, right, and kind of get it done uh, and sort of explore that. Right, and, and don't be afraid to see what answer comes back from that process. Just really dig into that, you know, write it down. Uh, even if it's just for yourself, just sort of figure out, like, use your kind of morning pages. It's a great book. And so we switch over to resources. Um, there's a great book called The Artist Way, right, around. This Artist of, Way. Hmm. Yeah, The Artist Way, right, has a lot of different techniques um, around, you know, how to explore your, and, and unlock your creative self. But one of those is the morning pages. Right, just sort of sit down every morning, stream of consciousness, just 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 write um, what's on your mind, right? And then don't, you know, don't edit yourself, right? Just see where, where you go, just see where your mind takes you, uh, and then explore uh, these areas about yourself. Uh, and you know, obviously, uh, you know, therapy, right? There's a lot of stigma around therapy, coaching, right? Just you know, sharing that you don't know what you don't know. It's like you don't know. Right, um, and those that say they do, that's just a flag for you to kind of move on. And people that have not had the opportunity to uh, make the introspection of mm. just how little we actually know. Um, a lot of it is just mm. someone else told you or someone else told them um, versus from <laughs> direct experience. Right? Like, why why do we use two and twenty for venture capital? Right? A few people. Yeah, like, yeah. Who who invented two and twenty? Like, why is it? Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. You know, Go Carrie, on. and you know, there's a great story around the history of Silicon Valley and whaling, and you know what's carry and you know, what you could carry in, in your boats and things like that. It kind of share some, some of those resources. Are all. Um, so those are kind of some resources to kind of dig, dig into. It's sort of artist way, morning pages. It's sort of fantastic. Cool. Wow. It's been an action packed <laughs> discussion here. Rapids. But uh, uh, at least from my end, I wanted to thank you personally for coming onto the show. We had so much kind of thoughts here from, you know, what works in VC, what doesn't work, and what, uh, you know, how do you make sure that you are always looking at the customer and the mission is always important. I think that's where we always connect Rampus is to focus on the impact that we want for our lives. Uh, Dan, any closing words? No, yeah. I mean, how can... Uh... Uh, I guess prospective founders that listen to our podcast or uh, people in the science world that are trying to create a company, I guess, find you or reach out to you or science. So about me, you can reach me at Ramfus at ScienceVest or jramfus at Twitter uh, or, or LinkedIn. Right? So that's for free, straightforward. Um, and in terms of resources, if you're starting a company anywhere in the world, 
my go-to resource these days it's really just go to startupschool.org and just get started right just start even if you're a full-time job even if you don't know if the startup life is for you it doesn't matter where you are anywhere in the world you can just go to startupschool.org and just get started uh, and learn from the best right that have been there done that and come from different circumstances right not just uh, silicon valley not just new york or anywhere else um but from all over the world and you can kind of share and learn uh, as learn as you go right because it's your own unique journey as an entrepreneur uh, and it takes it takes time right you're not necessarily going to get it right the first time um and there's just research there's just endless amounts of resources at startupcool.org for you to dig into uh, and learn from others mistakes and make your own mistakes That does it for another episode of Startup Mindsets Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Dan. just want to say, I uh, hope you guys are staying safe. Let's get through this together. Um, the COVID, with the fires, with the mental health stuff, with the presidency. I mean, I, I, I know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, yeah, I mean, what does kill you, make you makes you stronger. And uh more to come from this podcast stay tuned for the starter mindsets podcast uh sorry about that stay tuned for the book release i'm gonna be dropping a lot of knowledge and uh yeah deuces peace